All right, everyone, go ahead and get back to your seats if you don't mind. And do me a favor, go ahead and remain standing for the authority of God's word. So make, it, make your way back to your seats, but if you don't mind, go ahead and stand for the authority of God's word. And if you have a worship guide, or if you don't, you can turn to page two, and that's where you will see the authority of scripture. This uh, morning, we're going to be reading from Psalm 95. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, and we all say, for all flesh is like grass. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning, Redstone Church. My name is Spencer Till, one of the teaching pastors here, and it is really good to get together. We are, of course, we are in a series that we are calling Why We Gather, and what we're trying to do is put some parameters on some things that are pretty normalized when you come into a worship service. We know that the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia, and that word at its very base is this idea that we are to gather with one another and make it a regular occurrence. And we've just been asking questions all along the way from, you know, why do we even show up to why we preach? And this morning, if you had some kind of inclination from Psalm 95, we're asking the question, so why do we sing? You can't separate the idea of singing in church just, uh, just, uh, just, a, just a brief kind of perusing of normal church things. You either see maybe a church organ or, or a church choir and choir robes, or maybe it's just a worship guide when you come in. But singing and church come together. This subject is quite personal for me because, as you know, that as a church, we have been praying for and waiting for two and a half years before we hired a worship director. I don't know if you remember those days before Maddie Foster, right? But those were long days where we would continue to, to ask people to come and be an interim and asking favors and those types of things. And the months were long and trying and uh, we were trying to ask the Lord to help us to understand why this was a belated response on his, um, his point of view. Well, I don't know about you, but I was discouraged mainly because my prayers were not as powerful as I thought they would. Because, of course, immediate prayer answers was the, the uh, indication of a walk with the Lord. Candidates would come and go. Interviews would be near misses and just nothing happened. And so I found myself in just kind of a little bit of despair wanting to hold on to something. And that's when the Lord gave me Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2 in particular. But that's our passage for today. This is a remarkable passage because it goes back and it roots us of, of why we sing or why we even participate in this thing. If you know anything about singing, you know that it's a cultural phenomenon. Just go back 20 years, and this is 
idea of American Idol just caught flame and we were all watching TV wondering who is going to be the best and the brightest. And from that point on, there have been spinoffs after spinoffs after spinoffs of more shows just like that, of people who have wonderful voices singing to us. The role of music and the role of singing has an important part of our personal life. If you just walked through the university campus, if you just walked through Milligan or ETSU, you would likely find the same thing over and over and over. Most of the times, kids will have their nose down looking at their phone. And if they're not, they're these little white plastic things sticking out of their ears, right? Because they're listening to music. We can't divorce this idea that music has made a big deal on our lives. More likely than not, the songs that you sing in a church setting has more impact on your theology than any theology book that you've read. You can simply just ask the question, how many theology books have I read versus how many songs have I sung? Oftentimes, the things that we understand about who God is, either as creator or also redeemer, comes from the lyrics of songs. And so today, we were asking the question, why do we sing? But we also want to participate in the fact that we get to sing. The very fact that the creator God himself gave us vocal cords is remarkable because one of the things that we see in creation is this idea that he says something and things happen. So he uses this idea of speech or vocal cords in order to make things and it so happened. And he lended that characteristic to us so that we too also have breath in our lungs and we also have vocal cords to give back. Did you know that one of the very purposes of glorifying God happens right here, right here in your vocal box? This is one of the most obedient things, less about not just your tongue, but just your very voice itself. Do you realize that in that vocal cords and in this idea that we can praise God fully and completely? And so why do we sing? Psalm 95 gives us a couple of just some some quick answers, all right? And so I'm going to be rooted in just the first couple of verses, even though we'll expand a little bit. However, there's enough here in just these first couple of verses to give us a good understanding of where we are going. First and foremost, this idea of, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. That's verse one. And so the first thing that you need to understand of why do we sing is it's first and foremost, it's simply a command. It's a command, this idea of let us do these things. Just kind of zoom out a little bit. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us come into his presence. Let us make a joyful noise. And so on. Over and over and over in this passage, this idea that we are commanded simply to sing back to the Lord. Psalm 95 is quoted in Hebrews 3, this idea of this cultural context is attributed to David himself, who we know loved to sing, and we know that he loved to come into the presence of God. Lips and syllables and melodies to the Lord and the Lord alone. These cries of gladness, thank you, Lord, an expression of your just absolute, just astoundment of who he is but also these pleas for help. 
And for him to potentially just lend his voice or his ear to you in times of need. Oftentimes, we hear these songs of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it harkens back to this idea that God has done something in their lives and there is an expression of what he has done. More often than not, it's that God has delivered his people. And the first and foremost expression of being delivered is this idea of a song. He has done great things. So we're just commanded to do this this thing called singing. In fact, to not regularly sing with God's people in converse would be disobedient. Do we think of singing more of a talent? or even my, my um, preferences, or do we raise it to the level of a command? Singing is a command to be followed. Singing and church have always gone hand in hand. Take, for instance, this quote by John Piper. In the very first sentence in a book on evangelism, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. <gasps> If you're on the missions team, right, you're like, what? Where is he going to go with that? Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. In fact, what will we be doing for all eternity? Missions will stop and worship will continue on and on and on. So why do we sing? Because God commands us in Psalm 149 to sing to him a new song and to praise himself in an assembly. Why do we sing? Well, because there's 400 verses just like that about singing, 50 of which of the the 400 is in the command tense. The first song is a song of deliverance after the Red Sea was parted. That's in Acts 15. Did you know that Deborah sings as unto the Lord when the Lord uh, uh, liberates uh, in Judges 4? We have an entire book called the Psalms, right? This is the Psalter or the book of songs that David and others wrote. This is our hymnal here in the Psalms. The prophets, both Ezra and Zechariah and Jeremiah, all sing songs to the Lord. There are songs in the, in, uh, the book of Acts when our apostles and our disciples were jailed and in desperate need, but what did they find them doing? Singing. At the end of our story, in Revelation 15, what do you see the assembly doing? We're singing. It's something that we get to be a part of because it first and foremost is a command of God. And it's a command of God because it reflects his very character and nature. He has created us to sing. He's given us a vocal cord. He's given us a heart that will beat. He will give us a mind that recognizes in order that we can give back to him. Let us, let us, let us over and over and over in this passage goes all the way back to the beginning in which God himself says, let us make him in his image and likeness and then breathes into him so that we can use our breath to give back to him. That's why we sing. It's more than just a cultural phenomenon. It's got to be more than that. It has to be something that we understand. 
It's not just in the Old Testament. We also have a counterpart in the New Testament. So let's just look together at Ephesians 5. So this is the New Testament counterpart of this idea of a commandment. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So this is one of the New Testament uh, parallels to Psalm 95 and 96, 97, 98, 99, and 100. It is here in Ephesians 5 and then also in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so how do we teach one another? How do we admonish one another, right, with all wisdom? Part of the way that we do the one another's is, involves what? Singing, right? Singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So why do we sing? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament is filled with benedictions and doxologies, these structured prayers and songs praising God for what he has done. Romans 11, 1 Timothy 1, Colossians 1, the entire book, beginning book of Revelation. These are all songs for the people of God to respond back to him. All right, so if you don't like the Old Testament, right, and you don't like the New Testament, let me give you one more reason why we should sing, and it comes from church history. I didn't know this before uh, starting to study this, but in books and in podcasts, here's what I've heard, that the impact on church history is rooted in singing. So it happened in 1517. You may not know this, but that is what we call the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, right, in a, in a season of defiance, he goes and he nails on the Wittenberg door. You may know the story, you may not. Just look him up or find me and I can give you the sermon notes. But anyway, so he is rebelling against the Catholic Church and he's saying to himself, it's the word of God that is fully sufficient, more than the structures of what in 1500s was the structure of the local church. But one of the attributes of the Protestant Reformation was that, one, that we didn't need priests to, to be on behalf of God. We could, just, we could all have the priesthood believers. But one of the other attributes is congregational singing. I had no idea because up to that point, all of the, 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 the structures of a local church it was by and large run by either the, the priest or the nuns or monks or the monks or just any professional Christians. They were in charge of the full church order. But with the Reformation and with uh, Martin Luther, they said, no, it belongs to us. It belongs to the people. And so then there was a, this budding that happened. Then there were great hymns that were being uh, written by the church and by locals. Luther himself pens a mighty fortress to our God. But Protestant Reformation or Protestant Christianity became, became a people who sang. And this was the differentiation because we were the people who began to sing and sing out loud. Not just sing inside church services, but it would come into the streets and into our workplaces. And over and over and over, this became a mark of the people of God. Luther said that it is through the preaching and the singing of the word that the world will made known. It really is an amazing thing that we get to do this thing. And so one question is, well, if it's a command, is singing more of a duty or should it be delight? Or another way to put it is, what if I don't feel like it? What if I just, I'm just not in the mood? 
right? Or if you're a guy in here, you're like, uh-uh, I'm not singing, right? So all the guys, by the way, if you're a worship leader, you know that all of the guys do this. I mean, they're scared to death of singing, right? It's very vulnerable. I get it. I feel it. But is it duty or is it delight? We learned uh, in sermon prep um, a couple of weeks back that in this idea of, of Revelation 120, Bruce Colson t- taught us that in the tense of this verb is this idea that I got myself into the spirit for worship. And so is it duty or is it delight? And the answer is yes. It is a command to be followed, but when it is obeyed, there is a richness in the presence of God that is fully and completely. So it's a command for sure. Number two is, so where do we sing? All right. And no, 2788 Carroll Creek Road is not the right answer. So where do we sing? I have to go back to the scriptures. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The answer's in there, right? It's a little cloistered for sure. However, where do we sing? We sing in community. Over and over and over, six times we've counted, is this idea of let us do this thing together. Can you sing all by yourself? Yes. Are we all rock stars behind the steering wheel or in our showers? Yes. Is that congregational singing? No. So where do we express this? How is it that we should express this? We should do it together because we are able to honor the Lord and we are able to worship the Lord and we are able to remind ourselves over and over and over that we get to do this. One of my favorite imagery of the Sunday morning gathering is this idea of unity in singing. When is another chance for all of us, we were all born different places, we're all raised different ways. We may even have different belief systems here or there. But where do we all stand in unison and all literally syllable by syllable, word for word, sing in unity? It is a picture of the body of Christ at work around us. We are literally singing, quote, right, off the same page. It really is wonderful. There are good reasons to sing, right? So just if you don't believe it biblically, let me just evoke some just practical things. Did you know that singing out loud builds strong relationships? Have you ever been a part of a choir, right? Or a part of a band, right? So it's something about singing out loud, because it's so vulnerable, right? It is something that builds strong relationships. In a season that we are full of loneliness and people that are feeling lonely, we need a little bit more strong relationships. One, that group singing often helps children's brains develop faster. I didn't know this. That's amazing. And so if you're not a part of some kind of musical program, right, you need to probably put your kids somewhere where they're singing or doing something musical because it helps children's brains develop more. Singing is an effective, as effective as light exercise. <laughs> Good. I'll sing over exercise all day long, right? If that's the case, then, man, who needs the gym? I don't. So, um, all right. So it's, uh, however, it's just, uh, there's an asterisk. It's not as effective in all things as light exercise, but in providing a sense of well-being, 
right? And so when you have these endorphin rush or whatever, when you work out and when you sing, the sense of well-being rushes over you. Lastly is at the end of your life. Some of you will be cursed with either Alzheimer's or dementia. We don't know. But in working with older people, I know that even on their deathbeds or even close to their deathbeds, guess what they can do? Even though they don't remember their kids' names, they can still sing songs. They can still sing hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. There's something about singing that we should take advantage of. We should understand that there is something here that maybe we're missing out on. I mean, we're people of Appalachia. We're the people of, of Dolly and banjos. We're Scotch-Irish, where we just kind of stomp our foot, right? And we nod our head, right? And we pluck our guitars. And this is what we do because there is a melodic rhythm even to our lives. It should happen that way that we should give all of that ta- talent and energy and effort back to the Lord. There's a threat to congregational singing, though. So we know that we're supposed to do it together, but there's also a threat. Congregational singing is threatened by changes inside the church's cultural apparatus. You see, singing has become quite individualistic. In a lot of churches, right, the rooms are fully darkened. And then the band, right, is fully lightened. And so in that subtle reality, we've realized that maybe it's just about the singers rather than the singing. I'm not slamming other churches that do that, but there is a change. This is something unlike what we've seen for thousands of years because the let us do this is that there is something supernatural. When the people of God get together and lift up their voices and to do the thing that we can all do. A lot of us can't preach the word or a lot of us hate praying out loud or maybe can't lead a community group, but we can read off the lyrics of a page and sing as unto the Lord and we get to do that together. There's a threat that maybe it's just you and Jesus in this moment of worship and we've forgotten Psalm 95 that said it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus over and over and over. And so let us push back against this idea that the individual is at the center, this reality that we can all do this together fully and completely. We do need to push back that music needs um, to, to move in a different direction. Currently, if you were going to characterize current music, it has become more professional rather than homemade music. Again, that's not a slam, it's just what it is. Today, church music has become more individualistic rather than corporate. It has become more observed rather than participated in. It's become more recorded than even live and in person and real. As the leader, a leader of our church, I prefer the latter of all of those statements. I'd rather it be 
cultural and grassroots and corporate and participatory and live. And I want to fight against maybe even the pull to make it more professional or individualistic, observed or recorded. And so what do we do? We come by just simply memorizing Psalm 95.1. And we let it be planted deep into our heart to make us, to push us into a different way. Did you know that this moment, this corporate reality, this public singing can be an evangelistic appeal? That there is something that's in the congregation as they lift up their voice, that somehow, some way, that that music and those words actually make it into the streets and actually become change. I heard this this week and did not know this story. But the question came to Billy Graham and his associates, why do you continue to participate in in corporate singing at your crusades. Other evangelists just made it all about the preaching and an invitation, but in the Billy Graham crusades, they continued to come back to this idea that that corporate worship or congregational singing was important. And so the leader said it's because it's the singing that draws people in. Because there's nothing like hearing thousands of people singing. There's nothing like it in the world. Do you know that singing has the greatest chance to reach the streets and become a witness? It starts right here. And so next Sunday is Redstone on the Lawn. And we will have a lot of fun. But we will pause and we will sing a couple of songs. And in that moment, there will be people who are far from Jesus and far from community. And you will be weird because you will stand, grab a worship guide, and sing songs to But it is in that weirdness that it will capture their attention and the potential of, oh, these people mean this stuff. Because it's not just the words on the page, but it may just be just the pressure or the impetus or the power of the belief that's in your words, that's in your hearts first, that they will likely hear even before the truths that they hear. And so do you want to be a witness to those around us? Come on Sunday, ready to sing. Even if the people you're inviting didn't come, you come and you participate, and it's going to be great. We need this moment because in the next 30 minutes, the corporate gathering will dissipate, and we will become individuals once again. In just a few short minutes, you will all stand up and you will all go that way. And we won't do this again for seven more days. And we believe that there's something in even the word of God, but also in the lyrics of these songs that will last over and over and over. And so on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday, you may have a song in your hearts. I have probably quoted... And so when we fight, we fight on our knees 300 plus times over the last month. Why? Because we sang it here first. That little phrase has made a difference in my prayer life because we sang it here first. And so where do we sing? Lastly, and we're wrapping up, I promise. How do we sing? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a 
a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So how do we sing? We sing with joy. Because there's a rock underneath your joy. Your joy isn't made up. Your joy stands on the rock, a solid rock of your salvation. If you've been redeemed, you have something to sing about. If you've been redeemed, let the world know of your testimony. God is honored and he is happily honored when we rejoice in what he has done for us. Ultimately, we sing because of what Christ Jesus has done for us first and foremost, how we are truly, truly people who are being made known by him. So we're here less to make much of ourselves and much of Jesus. And we're here not to intake, but to give back to the Lord. For a hundred years, this was called a worship service in which all of the people showed up to give something back to God. Somehow it's become something other of an intake rather than something of a service back to him. From the jump, from the first chord, you are able to position yourself prayerfully to say, these words are yours. And you get to sing back to him. Some of you remember that a year ago, um, I was on sabbatical. And the elders would not let me come to church at Redstone. So I had to go visit other churches. And I had two of the most unexpected worship services during sabbatical. One was actually at a funeral, and one was at a really small country church. First, the funeral. Not probably the most joyful of occasions, right? We're thinking about grandmother and those other things. But in this funeral, it was, just a, it, was, it was actually a mother of a friend. I sat there. I didn't know very many people in the room. But then the choir director told us all to stand, and we're going to sing. And in a moment of sadness and sorrow, we sang an old hymn. And there was probably no more than 200 people in the room. But the walls shook, and the glass wavered. And people's hearts thumped because those people at that funeral knew that we were doing more than just honoring an individual. But we were standing on a rock. We were standing on something more solid than even life itself. And it showed and it impacted me greatly. The small country church, I wasn't expecting much. I don't know why, but just showing up. It was a style that I would not necessarily prefer, right? A format that I may even be a little bit uncomfortable with. But when that country church stood to sing, the walls shook, the glass, because they meant and they believed what they were singing. So how should we sing? We sing with joy because God has created us with emotions. We are emotive beings. The longest book in our Bible is a hymn book full of emotions of both despair and gladness and joy and lament. We sing songs to God, to him for what he has done. This is what we get to do over and over and over again. It's a common complaint that congregations don't sing like they used to. 
They've lost their passion. What do we do about that? Part of that is singing with joy, knowing that you are standing firm on a rock of your salvation. If you don't remember, let me remind you of the early days of COVID. I don't know if you even, we didn't even know what the word super spreader was, but the very first one that we heard was of a choir. And I think it was either in Oregon or Washington. And with this phrase, a super spreader event, church choirs shut down and concert halls went dark and congregational singing literally became too dangerous in order to love one another. We stopped doing the thing that we were commanded to do. But now we get to, we're back, we're able to sing. We're able to engage in the Lord in this emotive way. Our joy is a joy of our salvation. Our joy is a joy of what Christ has done for us. It should bring you great comfort knowing that on the cross, the cross of our salvation, Jesus is singing a song back to the Lord. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Singing and prayer and sacrifice and corporate, it's all a part of what he has done for us fully and completely. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today we hear his voice. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvels, his marvelous works among all of his people. For he is great. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and to be feared among all gods. 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes up from him and burns his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world the earth sees and trembles, the mountain melt like wax before him. 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness. 99, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion and to be exalted among all the people. 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
Know that the Lord, he is God. He has made us and we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pastor enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness for all generations. 101, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. And when you have come to me, I will walk with integrity of heart within your house. Over and over and over and over and over, we get to participate in this thing. And it is supernatural. So we apologize for putting lyrics on a page. Because it forces your chin down. We're sorry about that. We're trying to work really hard to get them up somewhere so that we can truly lift up our hand, our, 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 our chins up to the Lord. This is our desire. Some of you know that college football is here. And about six years ago, I came into a Sunday morning and my voice was hoarse. I was like, why is it so crackly this morning? And I thought back to 24 hours later, I was yelling at a TV with 18-year-olds throwing a leather ball around, hitting one another. I had gotten excited. Maybe we won, maybe we lost. I don't know. But it dawned on me that day that I was using this voice stronger and louder, more passionate there than in here. And I said to myself, that will not be the same. I will not do that ever again. And so whatever the temperature is on Saturday, on Sunday, he gets my very best and he gets my loudest. If you've sat in front of me, you've heard my crackling voice, but that's okay because I'm singing as unto the Lord. Psalm 95 spills over to 96 and 97 and 98, 99, 100, 101. It just goes on and on and on. Strategically, we have put more songs at the end of the service so that you can practice what we preach. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are, reign, you are the reigning supreme. And why do we gather? We gather to lift up your name with our voice. The posture of our heart matters. The motive matters. And yet our voice matters as well. You tell us to sing and to sing well. I pray now for all of us in here who have maybe not participated in this role like we should and seen the value of what the congregation can do when we all lift our voice in unity. Lord Jesus, I pray that you bring conviction on us this morning. We want to repent where we have failed you where we have disobeyed this command. And yet we want to be comforted that when we look to you, we will find you with arms open wide and you lifting us up and you setting us firmly on a foundation and our hearts should just overflow with thanksgiving for what you have done in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm reminded that the night that you were betrayed, after supper, the disciples sang a hymn, and then departed. I pray 
that the songs, hymns, and spiritual songs will have such an impact on our lives that it will change us from this day forth and forevermore. And we ask this, King Jesus, in your name. Amen.